G'day Dons fans and welcome to a post-season 2023 edition of Don The Stat. I'm Jonathan Walsh and it's great to be back in the Don The Stat studio with my co-host Ian Hume. Hume, how's things mate? Yeah, I'm good mate. It's um, the Cricket World Cup starts tonight so that's going to tide me over for the next uh, few weeks. Um, it's also really excited to see you again after a few weeks away. Uh, welcome back. I hope you had a great trip. Yeah, thank you, mate. I actually forgot the Cricket World Cup starts tonight until you just reminded me, so thank you for that. Uh, yeah, I am looking forward to that one. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate, mate, that I, I have a job that affords me the chance to get overseas a couple of times a year. And, yeah, it was, it was a lot of work but a lot of fun too and, uh, and good to get some sun. And, and probably the best part of it was I got to escape the country whilst Carlton were winning a couple of finals, so I didn't have to... Uh, to put myself through seeing that in um, in real time, which was, yeah, m- most definitely the best part of it, I think. Yeah, I imagine if they made the grand final, you'd have been claiming asylum in Spain uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, I was looking into, uh, you know, visa and, and long-term stay rights and all of those kind of things, hanging out at the Australian embassy to see what I could do to... Uh, to stay there even longer just in case they, they made it all the way through. Thankfully, though, uh, yeah, that, that wasn't to be. Yeah. Um, before we... Get started tonight. We'd like to say thanks to Rick Edwards for joining me for the player review a couple of weeks ago. Um, he did a great job helping me go through the playing list from 2023 and, and the response from the listeners was really strong on that one. So once again, thanks, Rick. Great friend of the show and someone we'll definitely have back on. Yeah, great friend, full stop. Um, it, it was really good to to hear yourself and Rick uh, talk footy whilst I was you know overseas and um, yeah, not a lot of footy news uh, live on Eurosport. So uh, and, and I certainly didn't want to uh, spend too much time on AFL.com.au reading about how well Carlton and Collingwood and the likes were doing. So yeah, it was it was good to be able to to zone out and and listen to some Don's chat. So yeah, thanks to yourself, mate, and, and thanks to Rick for for jumping in and uh, and uh, yeah, going through it with you. Yeah, uh, would also like to acknowledge that halfway through the AFLW season now, we've got the Bombers made a pretty reasonable start to the year. They're currently sitting at three and two and in ninth position. Their run home does look a bit challenging of their remaining five games. So four of those five games against teams that are above them in the ladder, the, the teams that are in the four spots above them in the ladder as fact. So you would imagine they would probably need to win at least three of those games uh, in order to make the finals given their percentage. But it's one of those things where destiny is still in their hands. So all the best to the women's team and hopefully they can uh, pull off a few upsets and, and make that finals for the first time. Yeah, that's right, man. I guess they're in a, a not too dissimilar position to the position our men found themselves in on on the run home, you know, with games against some good sides. But if you're good enough uh, to win those, then then you make it. And, and if you're not, you're not. So, yeah, Destiny's in their own hands and it gives us something to cheer on for the next few weeks and, and hope we can see it at Don's uh, team in the finals this year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of that, as it's all too often the case recently, we've had to sit on the sidelines again watching the AFL final series play out. And now, you know, it's a month on from the end of the season and a lot of that immediate frustration regarding the end of the year has dissipated somewhat. And hopefully we can all look back on what happened across the season with a, a more objective focus. What are your what are your thoughts, you know, now a month apart from Essendon's finish to the season? Where Where do you stand? Yeah, it feels like forever ago, doesn't it? Um, uh, you know, I think as we've put a bit of space between those last two games, I've been able to accept that, you know, a defining moment might be a little bit strong. But I think for a number of players on our list and and some of the commentary that or comments that we heard from Brad Scott in the aftermath, 
I think there's been some players that have well and truly been put on notice. I think we've seen a little bit with uh, uh, of that in how some of the contracts have been handed out and, and those that haven't received contracts yet. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it will help to, to yeah, d- define some of those players to an extent on, on what it's going to take to to be an, not just an AFL calibre player, but a, an elite, uh, you know, consistent finals performer. So, yeah, I, I think that it's it's absolutely ensured that nobody in the place got ahead of themselves. Um, and, yeah, we've seen some change in playing list already. We've seen some change in, in off-field personnel already, and I'm sure there'll be a little bit more as, as, you know, the next few weeks kind of play out. But, yeah, as I sort of said, I think it leaves it in no uncertain doubt of how much work there still is to be done. And, you know, I think uh, that can create a bit of a silver lining. But then also as... You know, I've been reflecting a bit more on the season and, and trying to look past those two teams. I think we've also, uh, you know, need to reflect on the fact that we were fifth on the ladder after round 17, which is what makes what happened after that really, really disappointing. But we also got ourselves into a position deep in the season where we were an opportunity to to finish, you know, in in the top eight and, and uh, you know, not that far off off top four uh, at that stage of the season. So I think that's improvement in itself from from where we've been. You know, we've made finals in recent years, but we've we've kind of fallen in. We've had to have things go our way, and um, we were never truly in that position where destiny was in our own hands, and ultimately we weren't good enough. But uh, yeah, I, I still think that's a step forward. I think we, you know, we will not think we we flicked the Richmond hoodoo, which I think was a big one. We we got over them on on Dreamtime, and and that's been something that's been hanging over our heads we've still got a few more of those to tick off the bulldogs and and the cats obviously the the two that still give us nightmares but you know we fought back in games against port adelaide twice against st kilda even geelong the first time around where you know they smashed us in the first quarter yeah sydney as well stands out as that yeah swans was another one yeah you know they're the types of games where in the past we've we've rolled over pretty easily and you know that that port adelaide game if you think back to that the, the second one at the mcg you know they got a couple of goals out uh, ahead of us late, uh, sort of halfway through the last quarter. And they were the kind of games where I, I think Essendon in the past has just gone, okay, we've we've given it our best shot. We haven't been good enough. Wave the white flag and, you know, two goals becomes four, five, six, seven goals really, really quickly. And instead we were able to hit the front and, you know, if not for Dan Houston, uh, kicking a goal after the siren from outside 50, then then we win that game. So, you know, again, I think there's there's levels of improvement there. I think ultimately what we saw is our best footy is pretty reasonable. Our our ability to maintain it for longer in games and deeper into the season is obviously a big challenge now for our entire footy club. And then sitting back and watching the two prelims and, and the grand final, it really did show that, that we have some big steps in order to uh, you know, ultimately play in September and, and and go deep. We we need to take some steps in how we play. We need to take steps in player development. We need to take steps in keeping our best player players on the park, and then we need to take steps in continuing to add quality to our list. So lots and lots of work still to do. Uh, but then I think I think we've also seen a shift in how footy is played. And I've made this comment before. We'll dig a little bit deeper. But I think there's parts of the way that we played in 2023 that that hold up reasonably well to the way the game is evolving. We saw a grand final that was played at really high speed, two high scoring teams by two teams that were really desperate to get in into the corridor and take risks. You don't typically see that in grand finals. Uh, we saw a final series that, that really was a contest between midfields and midfield dominance and, and what was happening at clearance and contest. It was less about 
defence and and defensive pressure and more about getting your hands on the footy first, taking territory, and then once you've got that momentum, being able to put the score on the board. And and the teams that won finals were the ones that were able to score when they did have that momentum. If, and if you think back to the grand final, it was really the difference. Both teams had control for similar amounts of the game, but but Collingwood were much more effective at going inside 50 and scoring when, when they had um, clearance and, and midfield dominance. Um, and, you know, Brisbane were, uh, you know, weren't quite as effective. They were effective when they got inside 50, but weren't able to get the territory that Collingwood were. And then, we saw a premier who was much more comfortable defending from the back half of the ground than we're used to seeing from from premiership sides, which is a, a real change and, and shift in you know grand final teams of of or premiership teams of, of years gone by. So uh, so yeah, I, I think it's it was a really interesting final series from from that regard and, and how the game's starting to evolve. So should we dig into it a bit? Yeah, one of the things we spoke about towards the end of the the regular season was we would. You know, after the final series, we would compare where Essendon's at com- against the preliminary final teams. And, you know, just on raw numbers, if you, if you look at the four preliminary final teams in GWS, Carlton, Brisbane, and the eventual premiers, Collingwood, Essendon went two wins and, and four losses from six games. So we had double ups against GWS and Collingwood. And, you know, that's actually pretty comparable to last year where against the four preliminary teams, which were that year, Collingwood, Geelong, Sydney, and Brisbane, we went two and five. So, Still, you know, can somewhat compete with the top teams, but again, it's it's not a consistent thing, as you sort of pointed out a bit earlier there. Yeah, I think that's where those two games right at the end of the year leave a bit of a sour taste in terms of being able to say we competed better in 2023 against the top sides. I think the other thing too is you probably need to look at the, the top six, given that we saw um, uh, in Melbourne and Port Adelaide, uh, you know, finishing the top four, but not make it through to the, the prelim. And, you know, Melbourne, we beat them uh, over at Gather Round and arguably should have beaten Port Adelaide twice. You were six goals up against the Pies on Anzac Day. Uh, we beat the Giants the first time, obviously fell in a heap the second time we played both of those sides. But yeah, I think against the top six as a whole, you know, we had two absolute shockers um, against, you know, in the last two games of the year beat the Giants the first time, beat Melbourne, uh, beat Carlton, uh, should have beaten Collingwood on Anzac Day, should have beaten Port Adelaide twice. So, uh, you know, I think I think it was a a better overall performance, uh, albeit, you know, those last two games really do leave a sour taste. Yeah. Well, look, we, as I said, we're going to do some statistic and demographic comparisons. And let's start with those list demographics based on 2023 numbers. And across 2023, Essendon's average age for the list was 23.8 years, and, and that's ranked 17th, just ahead of Hawthorne, uh, and 55 games on average per player, and that's ranked 15th in the competition. If you compare to the preliminary teams, it's actually reasonably close to what Carlton and GWS have. So Carlton averaged 24.6 years and 62.1. GWS averaged 24.2 years and, and 58.5 games. However, it's pretty far off where the grand final teams were. So Brisbane averaged 25.2 years and 78.1 games. And that's ranked third for both of those demographic numbers. And then the premiers Collingwood averaged 25 years and 72.8 games. And that's fourth and fifth. So right at the pointy end of those metrics there. So even if you look at those losing preliminary finals teams, you know, they, they did, they had up and down seasons. They, you know, the thing that they did was they came good at the right time towards the end of the year. And unfortunately for Essendon, we peaked 
a lot earlier in the year and then then had a decline there. But, you know, across the majority of the home and away season, you know, both you would call all three of the sides inconsistent. It's just those last few rounds. And then obviously those teams going on a run in the final series that sort of changed the perception there. Yeah, no, it's spot on, mate. And I guess, as always, the Premier becomes the benchmark, don't they? You, you, you know, you naturally sit back this time of year and compare yourself to them. Uh, what's been interesting about Collingwood is is they had 15 players in that grand final team, 26 and over. Uh, eight of those were 30-plus, and, and Jack Crisp turned 30 a couple of days ago. So, you know, he was he was still only just 29 on, on grand final day. Then they had Taylor Adams at 30 and McStay at 28 who missed through injury, Noble and, and Wilson who didn't play who were 26. So the 19 players on their list who are all 26 and, and over and, and nine of those now 10 with, with Crisp uh, um, at 30 plus. If we assume the three free agents linked to Essendon are, are, are going to come across and, and that includes the deal to send Dylan Shield to St Kilda and, and we'll touch on that more later. We'll have just the two 30-year-olds on our list next year uh, in Heppel and Goldstein. Stringer will turn 30 on Anzac Day and Hind will turn 30 late in the season. And then if we include Gresham and Goldstein as it as it stands now, we take Shield out and Snelling who doesn't have a contract at the moment and, and in all likelihood probably won't. We'll have, as it stands, we've got 13 guys on our list who are 26 and plus compared to to Collingwood who have uh, who have 19. So, yeah, we're, we're still a, a fair way away in terms of um, of of age demographic from from the team that won the premiership. And then just one other quick comparison on player demographic graphics. We finished the season without Draper, Ridley, Caldwell, Jones, Reed, Shield, Stringer, Wright, Kelly, and Guelphie. That's a, a mouthful. Most of those guys are. Uh, you know, in our best 25 or six, right? That, you know, if they're not in our best 22, then they're the first guys getting called up to replace some of those guys that are injured. So, yeah, all of them in or thereabouts in our best team. Brisbane went into the grand final without Will Ashcroft, who's a, a first-year player. And, you know, he he would have played if he was fit um, and and was replaced by by Fletcher. You know, so first-year player for first-year player. And, and Jack Payne, who who was the other one who missed out out of their best team and, and had a pretty good replacement for him. Collingwood missed McStay and Adams as probably the only two really who were injured who who would have played Johnson you know maybe um but but probably unlikely given he finished the year out of the side anyway so what the best teams do is they keep the bulk of their players on the park for the bulk of the season and and you know it's been a long time since Essendon have, have been able to do that so I, it, for me it's not just about the the age and experience demographic of our list it's also the the availability of our players and and that's something that we need to to obviously, you know, fix in, in the next year or two in order for us to improve. Yeah. And we're not experts in, in that area. So we're not really going to comment on what changes need to be made. And, when, you know, everyone likes to talk about how hard the ground at the hangar is, but, you know, I haven't gone out there and done a, a soil test, so I'm not going to make a comment on that. But let's look at some other statistics there and, and look at some of the key statistics of those preliminary finals teams and compare them to Essendon. So, look, let's start with stoppage clearance. It, it's an area that historically Essendon's been weak at. Uh, Brisbane were the first ranked stoppage clearance differential side across the season with plus 4.56. Carlton were third with plus 2.52. GWS and, and Collingwood were down in, in ninth and 11th. So it wasn't a big factor behind their performance, but Essendon is 14th there. So really far below those, particularly those top sides in, in that metric. We move on to contested possession. Uh, Carlton first with plus 10. Uh, Brisbane fourth with plus 4.8 and 
uh, Collingwood in ninth and GWS in tenth. So again, you know, you sort of mentioned different in game styles. You know, there's a few data points there with regards to Collingwood that sort of suggest that they're playing a different game to the rest of the competition or, or what people would normally expect. We'll talk a bit more about that. Uh, but again, Essendon's 13th, the contested ball at minus 2.8. Uh, contested marks, which I think is a real concern area for us. Carlton, again, first there with plus 2.7. Uh, Brisbane, second with plus 1.78. Collingwood, you know, this is a decent metric for them in plus 0.82. GWS have a negative metric in 14th, but again, Essendon's down in 16th at minus 1.2. And this is one I always like to talk about. And I think this is a demonstration of a, a really top side in terms of the intercepts differential. Uh, Carlton were third with plus 1.7. GWS fourth with plus 1.52. Collingwood fifth plus 1.47. And Brisbane plus 1.04. They finished seventh. Basically, just sort of going back, if you're not in the top eight dif- uh, intercept differential side, it's hard enough to make the finals, let alone win one. Essendon finished 14th this year, minus one point. One three, And I guess, you know, looking at those numbers and considering what you've seen over the, the past few weeks of the final series, what are, what are your takeaways from that? What do the Dons need to do to reach the level where they are playing off in preliminary finals and giving themselves a chance for a premiership? Yeah, I think there's lots of things that stand out to me. First is that there's there's no set way anymore. Like Carlton and and GWS late in the year really built their game on, on contest and clearance and improving that part of their game. Carlton, as you mentioned, finished the season number one for contested possession differential and and third for stoppage clearance differential. Brisbane are obviously been really strong at the contest and clearance. Collingwood not so. So uh, you know, really, really different ways of doing it. Um, and uh, you know, some of the key performance indicators that you would look to to indicate a premiership profile don't completely ring true for the grand finals or grand finalists, I should say, um, uh, there's a real obsession in in football analytics, in particularly in the media, on what Melbourne were doing throughout the season. I think partly because they've been there and done that before. So so we ended up in this situation as the season, um, uh, you know, rolled on that of uh, the premiers of years gone by, Geelong were out of consideration. Richmond were obviously out of consideration. It really only left Melbourne as a, a recent premier, uh, having won one two years ago, that were competing in the top four and putting their hand up to go again. So there was a lot of an obsession on how all the other teams around them stacked up against the Melbourne style of play. And, uh, and you know, that strong at the contest, move the ball forward quickly, obsessive with pressure, defend high up the ground, get repeat inside 50s. Uh, and if you remember, and, you know, I've been guilty of it as well, throughout the, the later in the season, the narrative around Collingwood was, as they lost a couple of games later in the year, was that they, they weren't playing the right way. They needed to shift how they were defending. All of those kind of things um, started to creep in. There were concerns around Brisbane at different times. There was never really that concern put on Melbourne because they fit, they continue to fit the box of what a premiership side looks like, uh, and then ultimately went out in straight sets because they weren't able to score. Uh, so everything else in their game worked well, but they weren't able to score. Uh, the theory that the best defensive side wins the premiership, I don't think holds as well as it once did. It's obviously important to be able to to defend well, interrupt the opposition's ball movement and win the ball back. But through the home and away season, Collingwood was the third best for points against and Brisbane sixth. You know, so you know, Brisbane are a, a kick from being a uh, within a kick from being a premiership side but they they only had the sixth best points against record across the season 
the Pies are the first premier since the Dogs in 2016. And this, you know, I'm stealing this right from your playbook because this is one that you you love. But, um, uh, you know, the first premiership side since 2016 not to feature in the top four for intercept differential. And we actually intercept, we asset and intercept at similar levels to both grand finalists. So Collingwood, uh, you spoke about intercept differential, but if we just look at raw intercept numbers, the the, the number of times teams win the ball back from their opposition through intercepts. And and the, that's a little bit different to a turnover because a turnover can come through giving away a free kick. It can come through kicking the ball out of bounds on the full, those kind of things. Whereas an intercept is, is really your ability to structure up and, and, you know, mark or, or through a, a contested or uncontested position, win the ball back um, off the opposition that way. It's largely an indicator of how well your, your structure is set up and, and pressure on the opposition ball character. So, so Collingwood ranked 11th for uh, intercepts throughout the home and away season. Brisbane were 12th, Essendon 13th. And then the other two um, uh, preliminary finalists, GWS was second and Carlton were sixth. So we actually intercept the ball at a similar level to, to Collingwood and, and Brisbane. But I think what's happened in the game over the last couple of years is the 6-6-6 rule is starting to achieve what it was intended to achieve, and it's putting the need to score back on the agenda. Brisbane's score in the grand final was the highest losing score since 2008 when, uh, what was that? That was the year Hawthorne beat Geelong. And it's the second highest losing score since 1999. So, you know, eight, 86 points in a in a grand final would have won Brisbane the premiership in in eight of the 20 grand finals before that. So, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a really high scoring game, and I do think that the six 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 rule and and the way teams are starting to adjust to it um, really is starting to change that. Brisbane ultimately were second for points four, and Collingwood were fourth. So, you know, two of the better scoring teams end up playing off in the grand final Brisbane third for inside 50s though and Collingwood 10th so again doing it in a different way uh Essendon 15th so you know we're, we're still a fair way off both Brisbane were fourth for efficiency inside 50 so uh, scored uh, as a percentage of times they went inside 50 they were the fourth best at, at scoring Collingwood seventh Essendon 11th and then Brisbane took 99 marks a game, which was ranked third in the AFL. And, and if we remember, that was something that Essendon was criticised for, for, for being a, a marking side. So only St Kilda and Essendon took more marks and, and it was marginal marginal um, compared to Brisbane. Carlton were fifth, Collingwood were nine with 90 a game. So a little bit of a gap between how Brisbane and, and Collingwood went about it. But the ability to main, maintain possession once you've got it and not needlessly give it back is is what's important. And so we share that profile with Brisbane um, and to a lesser extent Collingwood in terms of maintaining possession. What we weren't good enough at is maintaining it and not giving it back to to the opposition. So the reason that, that Brisbane and Collingwood are a lot better in terms of intercept differential than us is because they don't give it back as often. Brisbane will rank third and Collingwood fourth for giving the ball back to the opposition via intercepts the least. We were 10th, Carlton were 12th, GWS were way down in 17. So uh, yeah, I, there's some method in how we go about it with, um, with the ball that isn't all that different to to how some of uh, the better teams in the competition, or certainly Brisbane and Collingwood, have gone about it. What Brisbane and Collingwood have become really good at is is not giving it back to the opposition once they've got it. Yeah, and I guess that that plays out in the numbers of their 
inside 50s conceded, doesn't it? And, and if you're not conceding inside 50s to your opponent, you're not letting them score, which benefits you, obviously. Yeah, that's right. It, it's it's def- it's a way of defending with the ball in hand. It, it's an old adage in football, but if you've got the ball, the opposition don't, right? So you can you can restrict your opposition's ability to score by not giving them the ball back. And and that makes sense. And then when you do give the ball back, which is going to happen at some stage, the further up the ground, the further away from the opposition goal, you're doing it, the better. And and what uh, both grand finalists were really, really good at and why they ultimately competed on grand final day is they're both exceptional at restricting supply. Brisbane conceded just 47.8 inside 50s a game, which was ranked first in the AFL. Collingwood were just behind them in third. Carlton ninth, GWS are a real enigma. Some of their numbers are, are, are raw numbers are quite frightening. Uh, uh, they were fourteenth, and then Essendon were fifteenth. So, uh, you know, we we've got a lot of work to do in in restricting opposition supply uh, to be able to ultimately compete with the likes of Brisbane and Collingwood. Brisbane's ability to win clearance and contest allowed them to own territory. We saw that when we played them, we just couldn't get our hands on it at the contest. And what that meant was the game was played in Brisbane's half and we were constantly trying to get the ball out of our own back 50 and, and we're going nowhere. What What's really interesting about Brisbane, they have the least number of tackles across the home and away season. It's quite extraordinary that the team who tackles the least, uh, you know, is a kick away from, from being the premiers, but they did rank fourth in the AFL for tackles inside 50. So they built their game around being able to lock the ball inside their own forward 50 and the forward half, create repeat entries, and ultimately not allow the opposition to exit cleanly. And, and that's how they were able to, to restrict the number of opposition in, inside 50s. Collingwood go about it in a little bit of a different way. Well, actually quite a bit different. They're not necessarily happy to concede the contest. It, you know, every team wants to win every contest, but they're comfortable if they're not winning contest and not winning clearance at the same level that, you know, Brisbane's game falls apart if they're not winning their more than their share of contest and, and clearance. Collingwood, not so much. What they became really good at was forcing opposition into shallow entries. They were happy to set their defenders deeper than most teams, certainly not as deep as we saw us doing in the first half of the year, but they would back their pressure at the contest and through the middle of the ground to interrupt those last two kicks, the the one forward of centre and the one that goes inside 50. They conceded 94 marks a game, which is the, the fifth most in the AFL. We we were the fourth. So, you know, again, we we line up with Collingwood there. But they back their in, backed in their own ball use and their ability to score from it, which, again, was something that we were quite good at in the early parts of the season. They just they became the best team at being able to transition the ball from their defensive half into their forward half and score and became a real quality over quantity side. They were happy to sacrifice marks to opposition deep in their own uh, forward line, uh, as in Collingwood's forward line, so so the opposition's own defensive 50, and also wide parts of the ground, protect the corridor at all costs. And, and use pressure to, to force the opposition to giving the ball back to their defenders, but set further back than than what uh, Brisbane's often were. So, yeah, two really different models, different to, to what we've seen in the past. But uh, I think what it does show is that the game is is evolving. 6-6-6 is having an impact in, in how teams are, are scoring and it's putting... Uh, uh, it's giving opportunities to high-scoring teams to, to win finals and go deep in September. Yeah, a lot of what you described there about Collingwood's play sort of mirrors what we were trying to do at the start of the year. And, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about what the preliminary final has done. And 
we said at the start that, you know, it does seem like the game's changing. There's not one way to win a premiership. But if you were, after looking at all what the data and, and what you've seen with how the preliminary finals teams played, what does that mean for Essendon going into 2024? What what parts do you think we should be looking to include in our game and how would we go about doing that? Yeah, there's, there's definitely some elements that we have with with both of the share with both of the grand finalists. Uh, I'll caveat that by saying we're not nearly as good as them, and and I'm not pretending that we are. This isn't me saying we're going to bounce into a grand final next year and compete for a flag. But uh, tip, uh, in terms of how we've tried to play the game, I think you know we share some elements with Brisbane and and their ball control and and maintaining you know defending by not giving the ball back, uh, and then. You know Collingwood and, and the way they set their defence a little bit deeper, and, and then their ability to score on transition and and get the ball into the corridor. I think if you think about when we played our best footy, we were able to do that, win the ball back at half back, and get the ball into the corridor. And then, not necessarily at no point during this year where we were high inside fifty team, but early parts of the season when our defence was winning the ball back, uh, well, we were able to to be really efficient when we did go inside fifty and and score at a high high percentage of times. I think what we're lacking and, and uh, what we don't have at the moment is, a, is an identifiable brand of defence. And and I think maybe what we saw in 2023 was a new coach, maybe looking at some different methods, obviously learning about the, the personnel that he had at his disposal. We went from defending really deep to trying to defend higher in the later parts of the year. We went from being quite poor at the contest to being better at the contest we went from being a, a low inside 50 team but highly efficient to then being a higher inside 50 team that wasn't able to convert. I've got no doubt there's a capability gap that we're obviously aiming to address through free agency and trade, but I just don't think we've quite nailed how we want to play just yet. And I think we, I don't think we've wasted this season, but I think we, we probably could have got a little bit more out of it if we had of. Uh, look to stick to one style and and probably made some decisions on players who we gave some games to late in the year that, uh, you know, if Snelling doesn't get another contract, uh, you know, would we have been better served giving those games to to Davey or, or somebody else? Those, those kind of examples. I think we got a little bit lost at times last year. Not a complete waste, but I, I think we, we probably had a, a month at the end of the season where, you know, for maybe five or six weeks where we could have done a little bit more. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I think the the key is Collingwood's different to Brisbane, who's different to Carlton, who's different to GWS, who's different to Melbourne, who's different to Port, and and they all do things differently. So I don't think we need to necessarily go out there and replicate anyone's style. I think what we do need to do is decide on our method to win the ball back from the opposition more more often, and and therefore put less pressure on it or put our our back fifty or our, our back six under less pressure. I, that's the bit that we haven't yet nailed. Are, are we going to be a forward half team? Are we going to sit back? Are we going to clog up the the midfield and make it hard for teams to move the ball that way? Uh, we tried different things throughout the year, and, and I think we need to to find a method, stick to it, and and then ultimately recruit personnel in who can play that way. Yeah, you know we're about to start. Looking at the list and, and then all the, the trade news, which there's been a flurry of it, particularly in the last 24 hours. I had to keep updating the running sheet for this because new names keep getting added to it. Um, but look, last time we recorded, it was just after the Darcy Parish re-signing and there's been a bit of movement since then. So we'll go through all that and then we'll move on to those trade and free agency targets. And first bit of news following Darcy Parish was that Nick Bryan had signed for two years and Harry Jones for one. Um, just on Bryan, we 
over the last couple of years, we've spoken about the potential of using Brian as trade bait. Um, I'm happy to see him stay. Obviously, he's obviously got some qualities, but it was one of those things where you have Draper, uh, who's probably going to be your number one ruck for five, six, seven years. Do you really want to be having a list spot on someone who quality is the number one ruck and you potentially could get something for that? This, look, as, as I said there, there's still questions long-term where he fits if Draper's body gets right and he continues his development. Um, but even if that does happen and Draper, be, you know, locks in that number one ruck and, you know, he becomes a top five ruck in the competition, Brian's still going to be a, a really powerful asset trade-wise two years from now as he is now, maybe even more if he continues to develop. Um, look, even then, there's every chance he could supersede Draper and, and take that number one spot. And I think for his game, the, I want to see his marking around the ground uh, to develop. I, I know he does it a bit more in the VFL, but he needs to get that to an AFL standard. And then working on his forward craft, because if, if we do decide to go with a two-ruck setup, one of them's going to need to play forward you know, a bulk of the time. So one of them needs to become more efficient at that. And then you sort of mentioned this a bit earlier about the few players getting a kick up the bum uh, towards the end of the season. It, it seems like with Jones only getting one year, it, it could he could be one of those players that Brad Scott was talking about. And, you know, he's, he's had a lot of injuries and there has been, you know, whispers or rumours about his recovery. Uh, so I think, you know, a one-year contract is probably a fair a fair deal for him and hopefully gives him the motivation to, to really knuckle, knuckle down, get his body right and play more games in 2024. Yeah. I Two, two different players in terms of their trajectory. It's a big preseason for Brian, isn't it? Knowing that it's unlikely Draper's going to play round one and, and possibly the first five or six weeks. So, you know, the spots is if he puts his hand up and, and really demands it over the preseason, I don't see a world where Draper and Brian are both on our list together for the long term. I think one ultimately ends up leaving for opportunities elsewhere. But I like the fact, given you know Draper's only played, what, 60 games, Brian's a 21-year-old ruckman, that that we've got some genuine competition for, for that ruck spot. I, I do think that ruckmen are, are a little bit overrated. If we look at the... The you know unless you've got a, a sort of a generational ruckman like Max Gorn, I, I think you can get by by having a good a competent ruckman and uh, you know Cox and Cameron were were the two premiership ruckmen. Uh, uh, Stanley last year. Stanley last year. Thanks, mate. I'm glad you knew where I was going. Nankervis for the um, Tigers. Lysette for the Eagles. Yeah, exactly. And Oscar McInerney is a he's a you know he was the runner up ruckman. He's a, he's a battler. He's an honest trier. Uh, you're right. We'd like to see Nick Bryan and Sam Draper take more marks. They they average 1.1 contested marks uh, a game uh, over the course of the season this year. Max Gorn averaged 2.3. So he was the number one for Ruckman. Mason Cox, Sean Darcy, Rowan Marshall and Hayden McLean were next, averaging 1.5. So, you know, there's there's not a lot of Ruckman going out there taking a lot of contested marks these days. Gone are the eras of, you know, Simon Madden and those types taking lots of them. Um Tim English took the most marks of, of Ruckman, was the All-Australian Ruckman, 6.3 game, but he was doing most of them as a sort of link-up midfielder. Rowan Marshall, 5.3. And then, you know, our guys were down at 2.6, 2.5. So I'd actually see them 
uh, I'd like to see them take more uncontested marks than contested marks. Uh, I think what what we've lacked is is our ruckman being able to get involved in link up play and and an outlet and 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 helping to create space that way. So I think that's actually the improvement for them, less so than than contested marks. Uh, and then the the Jones one, yeah, look, it's a good move. As you know, I'm a fan of of Harry Jones. I, I think he he adds a lot to our side structurally. I think of all of our forwards, his work off the ball is nearly the best. I think he's got the best. Uh, uh, maybe besides Kyle Langford, he's got the best football IQ in terms of understanding leading patterns, knowing when to lead away and take an opponent with him. His ability to create space for others is is unique in our team. That's you know even something Langford's not good at. He's a good contested mark for a young player. Uh, you know he's, he can still improve that part of his game, but. The other thing that I really like about his game is his work off the ball when when the opposition have it. I think for a key position player, he's he's really really good at working hard to defend. So I think what he does on game day is good. Obviously, there's some noise around what he's doing away from the club that that needs to improve. So I think a one year deal keeps him honest. It ensures he works hard enough to to make his next deal a longer one. One year deals with the making of Mark McVeigh. Mark McVeigh went from a talented player who wasn't getting the best out of himself. To, who who could have been sort of chewed up and spat out to to becoming the player that we saw who became a really consistent strong leader and, and really reliable player and and it was off the back of a, a number of successive one year deals where he just knew he had to put the work in each and every year or he was going to be off an AFL list so let's hope for for Harrison Jones and and Essendon's sake that that it has the same impact on him yeah the next announcements were Menzi and, and Baldwin uh, signing one year extensions and. Generally happy with both of those re-signings. I think he probably did a bit of a jig when Menzi was confirmed, although I'm not sure there was much uh, doubt that he would get a new contract. Um, you know, just generally on his output, I thought Menzi did enough to warrant a two-year deal. But given next year is his last year, he can be on the rookie list. I think it's a matter of flexibility in terms of list spots that means he only gets one. Um, again, I'm not as big a fan of Baldwin as, as a lot of Essendon fans are out there, but with BZT going, Laverty getting a year older and in question marks as to whether Reed or Hayes are going to be ready to contribute in the AFL side next year. Another year for Baldwin's a fairly reasonable call in my view. Yeah, look, Baldwin at this stage, I think is good depth. It gives us another year to, or gives him another year to develop as a defender. I think that's got lost a, a fair bit. This is a kid who lost a lot of footy at junior footy and his first year of senior footy through those ACL injuries, but then played as a forward as a junior in, in his first season at the club or his first season on the, on the field. Uh, so he's really only had one year as a defender. So, you know, this gives us another year to see what he can do and, and where he fits in the longer term. Uh, Menzi, I, I suspect uh, you're right. Uh, what we've done I here is, I think, taken the option to keep some flexibility on our primary list uh, and given him the one year so we can keep him on the rookie list instead of having to promote him. I think for him to finish second in our goal kicking in his first full season, playing a difficult position, that small forward role is a really hard role in a pretty dysfunctional forward line at times. So I think that's a really great achievement. And, you know, I suspect if he, if it wasn't, in that situation where he needed to be promoted, he would have got a two-year deal anyway. But yeah, I think he's a player that that slots into our best team next year. And, and if he continues to work hard, as he clearly did this year, that he's going to have a really exciting career ahead of him. Yeah. Now turning our attention to the players that requested to leave, and it wasn't official when we last recorded, but little surprise to see uh, Zerk Thatcher officially nominate Port Adelaide as his preferred destination. And, you know, there's the usual bluster early on about wanting a first-round pick. Um, there's little news other than something that came up today, which 
we'll get into towards the end of tonight's show. Um, it's just going to be interesting to see how Port satisfies both Essendon and Geelong, given that they're after Radigalia as well. And look, I think if you were looking at a, a raw pick about what Zerk Thatcher is worth, the best 22 defender that, that played all season, I think something in the mid-20s is probably a fair deal, but um, as potentially could be happening, I, I think the possibility of a player is that, especially the one that is uh, being suggested, uh, I think is probably a better deal for us than getting a, you know, a pick 22 that's, you know, how how often do, you know, mid-20s picks fail quite often. So I think, you know, that's probably where we're at here. Well, especially at, at Essendon. Uh, I would have preferred to keep him than lose him. I think with McKay coming to the club, he would have made a really good number two. He, he was being asked to play out of his weight division. Uh, and I think, you know, that that's part of the reason I suspect why Port Adelaide aren't just going after BCT, but they're trying to add Radigalier as well. That, that gives them, you know, with a Lear, a Lear, a three-pronged key defensive attack that, you know, Radigalier can take the big monsters, BCT plays second tall, and then um, and then Lear, a Lear does what he does best, and that's intercept. We'll touch on McKay soon uh, because he's obviously coming to the club. We've also got Reed and, and Hayes coming through, so and Ridley there as well. So uh, you know, it's not it's not the end of the world. And, and I've actually been pretty diplomatic on on this all along. I, I've actually felt with, with if we were going to get McKay, then there was never a better time to to cash in on BZT, given Port had demands on him. Uh, they want him. It's an opportunity for us to cash in and and use. The, the you know use the opportunity to fill some some what I think are now bigger holes on our list than than key defenders given McKay's now coming in yeah somewhat more of a surprise was D'Ambrosio's uh, request a trade to Hawthorne and you know I don't blame him at all I think I imagine there's two years on offer from Hawthorne um, as opposed to the one that we would have put to him in a similar vein to keeping him on the rookie list like we are Menzi and. You know, there are some people comparing the potential loss of him to what happened with Hooley. I wouldn't go that far. Massimo is obviously a great kick, but you know, defensively he's really struggled either as a one-on-one defender or playing in you know a team team defense, a team zone. So, well, he only played eight games this year, and he did miss some with injury and, and played a lot as that that sub role. But I wouldn't expect us to get you know much more than a future third in this scenario. Maybe even you know probably looking at a fourth for a rookie listed player. Yeah, I know he played uh, a number of games as a sub, but he played 16 games, I think, from memory across, you know, just under a season and a half. So he's come in in his first year without a preseason, then done done a preseason and and managed to still play 16 games for a, a 18, 19-year-old who who's come from outside the system. I think we gave him ample opportunity for a young player. I, I, I don't subscribe to the theory that he's leaving because we didn't play him enough. I, I think he's just been seduced by a longer term contract at a, pl- at a club who really, really values what he does and and have a game style that suits him and, and the way that he plays. And, and that just happens in footy. Uh, you know, some players suit other teams and other structures better than, than others. So, I would have liked to keep him. I'm, I'm I'm a big fan of the way that he uses the ball. I'm still not 100% sure what his ultimate role would be at Essendon, whether it's halfback, whether it's wing or whether it's forward. He has those defensive liabilities, uh, which, which also get found out on the wing a little bit. But obviously when he's got the ball, he can do some real damage and we don't have a lot of great users. Uh, but again, like the BZT one, you've got a team who really wants him prepared to offer him a longer term deal. And and now it's on Hawthorne to put something to us that's probably going to be a tiny little bit over what he would be in a free market, and and you know we get to 
to try and address other parts of our list. So, yeah, it is what it is, mate. I'm, I'm certainly not losing a lot of sleep over that one. No, well, hopefully that doesn't come back to bite us, but we'll see. Uh, finally, the, the last three players without a contract offer are, are Snelling, uh, Voss and Hunter. Um, all apparently will have to wait until the trade period plays out before they'll find out their fates. Um, although Hunter's manager was on uh, trade radio and, and did believe that Hunter will receive a, a one-year extension. I think with the potential addition of Gresham, I think that has Snelling's uh, fate sealed and then we'll see what happens in terms of Voss, but I think it's probably less likely than more likely that he'll be on the list next year. Yeah, they, these ones are interesting, right? I guess Hunter, that uh, you know, there's some medical concerns and, uh, you know, he's got a deal in front of him and he's got to weigh that up. And I, I kind of get that that one's taken a little bit longer. A- out of the three of them, he's clearly the one that I think has the most natural football talent and, and I hope we keep him and, and get to see him play a full season you know, in the VFL and, and and maybe crack an AFL game or two next year. The Voss one I find really strange. You've either decided he's got a future or or not. You know, key position players take longer. We all know that. Uh, I, I don't quite understand why they're, they're making him wait around. I, I do find that really strange. Uh, they, they clearly don't rate him all that highly. Otherwise, they would have locked him away. And then I, I suspect Snelling, they're, they're keeping as a – you know, in case some other deals fall through and, and they don't want to cut the list too deep in terms of age and experience and and maybe they don't see a lot of value in the later parts of this draft. So so they might feel that that he's better for depth and, and helping our VFL team. And I think that's important too. I, I you know, I think we, we sometimes look at list and, and think just about the 22. But if you look at what some of the stronger clubs have done, they have had some really experienced guys playing VFL uh, to help their young players through and, and be more competitive at that level. So, so maybe that's the plan with Snelling that that, that they see him being a but adding some value as depth if we aren't able to get some of the deals done that we're trying to do. Yeah. Well, everyone's favourite uh, period opens tomorrow with uh, the free agency period on, and we're recording on Thursday, so that opens on Friday, and then after the weekend, the trade period commences on on the Monday and. Um, Essendon, as always at this time of year, is, is in the news and two players have already indicated they want to come to the Dons and it, a third looking likely uh, when it comes to free agency. And then, you know, there's some other possibilities up in the air. And let's get start with the player that was rumoured to be coming for the longest time in in Ben Mackay. And uh, when I wrote this a couple of days ago, I thought it was too good. So I sent it out as a tweet. So if you've seen my Twitter feed, you've probably seen what I'm about to say. But they do say that history doesn't repeat, but it, it does rhyme. And around a century ago, Essendon raided North Melbourne for talent when they were a VFA club. And now 100 years on North Melbourne, which are playing like a VFA club, having their players taken away from them by the Bombers. So, yeah. In, you know, rhyming in history. And as I said afterwards on Twitter, you know, if we get the same outcome that we did a hundred years ago with back-to-back flags, then I think they'll be worth it. And look, there was obviously strong in interest from other clubs, including Sydney and Hawthorne. Mackay has chosen to reunite with his first AFL coach in, in Brad Scott. He was drafted back in 2015. And, you know, whilst he's only played 71 games in, in seven years, he's been much more durable in the last three. So he's played 56 out of 67 matches across those last three years. So, you know, if that's the sort of numbers you're putting out, that's that's a player you can rely on to get on the park, I would say. Um, you know, we, we spoke about it with BCT playing out of his, his weight class, but it, it's been clear all year that Essendon struggled against the biggest forwards. And whilst that also has something to do with the difficulties the midfield have had at providing defensive pressure, 
too often Essendon defenders were outsized and outmarked. So with Mackay standing at 201 and 99, 201 centimetres and 99 kilos, that'll be less of an issue whilst also allowing for players like Zach Reed and, and Lewis Hayes to develop without being rushed straight into the senior side. And, you know, basically it's, it's a straight list spot swap for Zerk Thatcher and, and the role he was playing. And so Mackay is eight months older than Zerk Thatcher, but he's also six centimetres and 10 kilograms uh, bigger than Zerk Thatcher is. And look, if you, if you go across their entire careers, there's, there's not much separating them across them defensively in terms of things like average spoils and, and marks per game. But Mackay has some clear advantages across his career over BZT. So he averages 1.2 contested mark a game compared to 0.5 for Zerk Thatcher. Um, 2.7 intercept marks to 1.6, again, in Mackay's favour. Um, if you look at his contested defensive loss rate, so the amount of times that he loses those de- contested defensive one-on-ones, he only loses uh, 23.5% of his contests, and that's compared to 31.3 for Zerk Thatcher. And look, even if you look solely at this year, McKay is ahead in all of those stats, and he went above his career average for all of them, and that included intercept marks where he was related rated as elite. So I think it's a definite upgrade in terms of Zerk Thatcher. It doesn't really affect the list demographic that much in terms of age profile. Uh, so I think, you know, it's a definite good move for us in that sense. What do you, what do you think about the acquisition? Yeah, he's uh number two player in the AFL for uh, intercept marks this year or equal, equal second and, and the equal number one ranked key defender. So, you know, he's he's absolutely elite at, at what he does. Uh, just on your, your comment about the history between North Melbourne and Essendon, uh, for those that aren't familiar, uh, Sid Barker, who, uh, you know, is a, a two-time Essendon premiership captain coach uh, in the 1920s. He was one of those players that came across from North Melbourne when they were still in the VFA. And uh, I always laugh when uh, North Melbourne talk about their best and fairest, which is named after Sid Barker. So, to you know, he only played 18, play- 18 games for them in the, in the VFL, but uh, but he's played 43 for us and is a two-time premiership captain coach. Uh, so, yeah, that, that always makes me giggle given North Melbourne's a fan's obsession with Essendon. But, uh, yeah, back on um, on Ben McKay, I don't think um, uh, North are going to go on to, to name their best and fairest medal after him. But, uh, you know, I, I think he can be a, a really good, valuable key pillar for us. And it allows us to... He's, he becomes an anchor, right? He he allows us to build the rest of our defensive structure around that uh, as a big, strong, key defensive pillar, uh, like what Moore did for for Collingwood, like what Harris Andrews did for Brisbane. I think he makes Ridley a better player. I think it allows Reed to develop at his own pace without being exposed to having to play on the opposition's best forwards. I was also quite bored by Jack Siebel's comments today, who's who obviously knows him really well. And, and he said he's the type that demands to play on the opposition's best forward. He, he spends a lot of time going into the senior coach and, and putting his hand up and, and saying, I, I, you know, I, I want to be the man. I, I want to take the opposition's best. And, and he does a, a lot of work on, on opposition analysis and research and, and he likes, he likes the challenge. And, and I think he got caught out at times this year and, and throughout of his career, not knowing whether to, to go forward a bit of the Jaden Laverdes that, that we've seen when he's been tasked under, uh, under Rutten of not knowing whether to go forward and intercept or stay back and defend. I think we can simplify that under Brad Scott and uh, with the way that we 
are clearly going to structure up our back six around him and he'll, he'll just be tasked of beating his opponent and, and coming off when the time's right. And I think that will, will really elevate the way he goes about it. So, yeah, look, he's not Dustin Fletcher. He's not Steve Silvani. But he is a, a very, very good intercepting key defender, capable of playing on and beating the opposition's best key forwards. And we haven't had that in our list for for a long time. You know, probably since Kyle Hooker was at his best. The one potential recall with this is North Melbourne matching the restricted free agency offer if they they don't like what they get as compensation. They've been very vocal about wanting first round compensation as if they haven't already had enough uh, handouts there. Um, with the way we've gone about a potential acquisition so far, it seems to be in a pretty clear motive to maintain our draft position. Although there is rumors about that as well. I think given our salary cap space, I expect we'll avoid that scenario not for a deal that gives North what they want in order to avoid anything messy uh, recurring the deal. The latest reports also suggest that that deal will be enough to satisfy North Melbourne. You'd imagine it'd be one of the first free agency uh claims lodged and we'll know pretty quickly whether it's generated enough for North Melbourne to allow the deal to go through. Yeah, I, I think what we've done all along in this is is worried about ourselves and what we were prepared to offer in terms of our own salary cap strategy and, and this strategy and not got too caught up in what North Melbourne wanted. I, I think there's a fair bit of hot air going um with North Melbourne that they're using the media and player agents to try and uh, you know pressure us into to offering over and above what we were prepared to do. I think the compensation will be what the compensation will be because it sort of is what it is, not because we've been forced to um, to offer anymore. And I mean, I, I stand to be proven wrong here, but uh, reportedly North Melbourne's offered uh, offer to to Ben McKay was 650 and they held really firm on that. They weren't prepared to go over and above it. Essendon's reported offer is 780. Uh, for for them to then go and offer an extra 130 and, and extra years on a player that they weren't prepared to do that um, for previously would be a big move for them and, and a move away from where their their sort of list and, and player payment strategy has been and and potentially gets in the way of them doing some other deals as well. So I, I'm inclined to think it's just a little bit of hot air, but I, I think you're right. I, I think they end up with pick three for this rightly or wrongly and and we all just move on and, and we get the player that that – you know, we, we sorely need and uh, we can build our back line around. Yeah. Another need is uh, Ruckman to replace uh, the retiring Phillips. And look, Todd Goldstein, you know, after a bit of uh, back and forth about whether he was more interested in going to Collingwood, has decided to, to come to Essendon again to join up with his old coach. Uh, look, he's we needed a new Ruckman, an experienced Ruckman as, as a backup. Um, obviously, with Draper having his delayed start to preseason, as you say, it, it might not see him in the AFL side until round five or six, maybe even later, depending on how his recovery from surgery goes. And look, I think I think Goldstein's a good fit. Uh, you know, it's amazing that a 35-year-old Ruckman has been as durable as he has. He's only missed six games in the last seven years, and his numbers also remain respectable. He's, he's not the best Ruck in the competition anymore. But amongst Ruckman that played 10 or more games in, in 2023, he ranked seventh for average hitouts, 10 for contested possessions, and 11 for clearances. So he's still capable of having an impact on games. And, you know, if we don't have Draper and they're not solely convinced that Brian can carry number one Ruck, he's going to give us the ability to, you know, have a quality player out there and have a quality on ball brigade um, before we get Draper back. 
Yeah, also sixth in the AFL for hitouts to advantage. So uh, you know he he's still playing some some good footy. Uh, look, I I get this one. I I understand why we've done it. It it wouldn't have been my first choice. I I sort of was of the view that I didn't see the point in getting a ruckman who you ultimately you would hope wouldn't play a game for your footy club. Uh, but I sort of formed that view prior to to the Draper news. He's clearly a, a, a really high professional. He knows Brad Scott well, so so he adds you know some he adds experience which we need. We were going to get an older ruckman anyway. Uh, there's you know there's not a huge number of them available, and uh, and you know he's a pretty good one. So uh, look, yeah, I, I get it. I'm, I'm not necessarily doing cartwheels over it, but I'm not, again, I'm not too upset about it either. He's a he's a real professional and and I think he has a lot to teach Draper and Brian and, and if nothing else, he drives them to to work harder than they have in the past, then it's a really good outcome for us. Yeah. The third player that's strongly connected to Eston, although hasn't announced that he is going to join Essendon, is Jade Gresham. And, and this has probably been the most contentious of the three with fans. And He's had good moments for the Saints over his eight-year career, but he's also never seemed to reach his full potential. He's, he's someone they've seemed to have struggled to work out where they want to play him. So he started more as a small forward and, and they've tried to make him into a midfielder. So he, this year he attended 27% of centre bounces, but the year before it was 59%. So they're really looking at him as that, you know, more of a midfield option potentially than, than a forward option. One of the things that really showed in finals is just how important that small forwards are, maybe even more important than than tall forwards. You know, Collingwood had, you know, a, a head on a stick in Billy Frampton at, at full forward and it was their smalls that, that did the damage. So we've acknowledged that it's an area we've lacked in for a while and, you know, Tipper's finally gone now and, you know, players like Menzi, Wanganine and the Davies need more development time. We've been left with Guelphie and Snelling to really carry, carry the load in, in that area and, Compared to the best sides, they don't play at the level required to match it with those. So clearly we're looking at alternative options that we can get in without, again, compromising draft uh, position. And if you look, go back to when Gresham started, he, he mainly played as a forward. And in his second and third season, he kicked over 30 goals in each of those. And even this year, spending a fair chunk of time in the midfield, he kicked 21. So, you know, close to a goal a game this year. And Guelphie's best result is 17 in 2022 and, and Snelling's best is 12 in 2021. So if we play Gresham primarily as a, a forward, I expect his offensive output would eclipse those two players comfortably. So bringing him in would, would give us more of an offensive threat there. And I guess the question would be is about how he can go about playing defensively in the structure. He's spent this year under Ross Lyon. So he's probably had a fair bit of drilling in the need to fit into a structure. But if they're also willing to let him go, that suggests that perhaps he's struggled fitting into the expectations of such a structured game plan. And, and that does raise question marks about how we would fit into the Brad Scott side. But look, it's a move that improves the list. No doubt it, he's a, if, if Snelling's the one to go off the list for Gresham, it, it's definitely an upgrade in terms of quality. Um, and again, we're not expending draft capital or, or required players to do it. Um, for that, it, it's a move I'm happy to see maybe as long as it's for the right price. Yeah, the whole buying into defensive structure is, has uh, and defensive attributes has been my concern with him too. I, I get that he's an absolute quality goal threat. He's got class, and we don't have enough of those. We don't have anywhere near enough. And, and you're right, he's a he's a huge upgrade on on Snelling and Guelphie. I think the the devil's advocate to my own point on on his work defensively is 
he, he does get up and, and down the ground. He he played 23 games this season, so he was he was good enough to get a game every week in the the Ross Lyon system. So, uh, you know, I, I suspect if if he was truly being pushed out the door because he couldn't defend uh, in in the Ross Lyon structure, he would have been pushed out the door in you know round 10, not not at the end of the season. So, you know, I think he he was on a big contract there. They signed him up a number of years ago after he had you know th- those two really good years where he's kicking a lot of goals and 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 you know maybe he doesn't fit into their player um, payment structure anymore, and 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 that's part of the reason they're they're looking to move him out. Uh, you know, he he may well be looking for a, for a new challenge as well. You know, we've been doing this podcast for two years now, and and I've talked a lot about how often our half forward line lets us over, both offensively and defensively. The the number of times that that the likes of Snelling and 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 Guelphie, but also some of the young midfielders that we played there, Caldwell, Hobbs, Perkins at times, even Nick Martin at times, would get caught in transition, both offensive and defensive, in the wrong positions. You don't have to worry about that with with this guy, with Gresham. He slots straight into that. He knows where to run. He knows where to structure up. He knows how to find space when we've got the ball. He knows how to create space for others when we've got the ball. He'll help our scoring. And then I also think he will help not necessarily through high numbers of tackles, but he'll help through positioning in slowing down opposition exits. And and that's not something that we're getting out of the likes of, uh, you know, the guys that we've just mentioned at the moment. So, yeah, he's still only 26. He's got a lot of footy ahead of him. he he adds to a part of the game that is really really important in mod- modern football that we don't have a lot of um, a lot of players who can play that role. Yeah, and you know, obviously this is a free agency deal, but there's been a few you know variables thrown up in the air because there's been suggestions that we could pay him a greater amount of salary to generate a high draft pick, um, and then using that as as part of a deal to to send Dylan Shield to. St Kilda and Dylan is someone who's got a year to go on a, on a six year deal, but you know, the saints are one of the clubs that are suggested to be looking at him. And, you know, there's been a lot of suggestions about what could be involved in this. And I think part of the original suggestion was from John Ralph suggesting that Essen will pay Gresham enough to generate band one compensation, which would be pick 13, although that gets thrown around with all the other picks that are, that are generated and the Academy picks and the like. And, then trade shield for, for that pick paying a big chunk of his salary. And essentially what we will be doing in that scenario is using our salary cap position to buy a pick. And if that works for the saints, because it's, it's not a pick they actually have, it's a pick that's generated because we have paid that amount to, to generate that pick. And that speculation does seem to have cooled a bit. And there's restrictions on what those generated picks, who those generated picks can be traded to. So it's it's seeming less and less likely that Essen's going to pay Gresham that much enough to generate maybe end of first round or second round compensation for the Saints. But the Dylan Shield you know, story continues to have legs. What are your thoughts about potentially trading Shield out at this point of time? Yeah, I think clearly Shield's future at Essendon is playing half forward, rotating through the midfield. So at 31 years of age, the likely position for him going forward is that he he plays a role that is different to to what he's played most of his career. I suspect this isn't anything that I've heard. This is not scuttlebutt or, or innuendo. I'm putting two and two together, but I suspect there's been a little bit of lost trust between coach and player here over him coming back twice and getting injured again in, in games, and 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 maybe that's eroded things a little bit. But 
if you're going to move a 31 year old to play a new position and uh, and you can at the same time go and get a 26 year old who plays that position naturally in Gresham who's still going to be around when you know hopefully we become a really good side in a couple of years time it it makes sense so I, I think um and then it allows shield to go into St Kilda system and play the role that he's really really good at so regardless of how it happens and I, I think what ends up happening is these deals are done completely separate I think John Ralph has put two and two together and got five he's tried to be creative he's created a story no one else is really talking about it it if there's uncertainty over whether 780000 for McKay gets North Melbourne uh, a first-round selection, then we're going to have to be paying that or more, you know, 800 plus for Gresham. And and I, I can't see a world where we do that um, to, to get pick 13. So I think, you know, if Gresham wants to come to us, we agree on a deal with him and, and whatever St. Kilda gets in compensation they get. And then if um, if then we do a separate deal to get Shield to, to St Kilda. So, uh, yeah, look, I, I think it makes sense for, for both clubs. I, I I haven't got too caught up in the, the you know, us getting picked 13 back though. Yeah. Look, there's been a couple other rumours around recently and one of them is probably more more likely than, than the other. And, you know, the last couple of days there's been this massive story break with regards to Clayton Oliver in Melbourne looking to potentially moving him on despite him having won four of their last six best and fairest and being contracted until 2030. So, you know, you don't move these sort of players along unless there's something going on behind the scenes. And you look, he hasn't been specifically linked to any side, although the Adelaide media seem to think that Adelaide are the front runners there. Um, Essendon's also been named as someone who's shown more than just a passing interest. Uh, You know, you would likely have to spend serious draft capital to get him, you know, at very the very least you'd be spending first round this year, first round next year, plus other picks or or potentially players. Uh, is he someone you'd be willing to spend that draft capital in order to bring in? Yeah, judging purely on a football perspective, and look, the, the latest news is that Melbourne have said, we want to keep you, but you they've given him an ultimatum, you know, shape up or ship out. So it, the ball's now in Oliver's court to decide whether he wants to to go somewhere else or stay at Melbourne. If he said he wanted to come to Essendon, I'd be trying to do that deal in a heartbeat. I know Essendon fans feel, and myself included, feel scarred by by the Shield deal and, and, and Smith and, you know, giving up early draft capital. At the time we did that, we weren't far removed from having lost first round picks through the um the uh the, the drug saga and 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 the fallout of that so we didn't have a lot of young high end talent on our list we've had five first round picks now across the last three seasons and bought in a lot of quality young players we've also bought Cordwell in who was a first round pick and and still only 22 and as you mentioned the other day we we found Nick Martin uh, you know as a, a SCP um Top up, um, SPP top up. Sorry, and um, and and added him to our list. So we, you know, we've added five, six, seven really high end young talented players to our list that we didn't have back then. So it, our list demographic has has completely changed. He's arguably Melbourne's best player, at least the best their best player of the modern era. Uh, he's a he's a brute. He's a he's a big, powerful, explosive midfielder that complements our other midfielders to a T. I'd uh, I'd be more than happy to to give up this year's first rounder, next year's first rounder, and something else to to get into our footy club. 
all other things being equal. That said, it's a pipe dream. I, I think he ends up staying at Melbourne and, and we're all getting excited over nothing. But, uh, yeah, if you can make it happen, you you certainly do it. Yeah. And look, something that might be less of a pipe dream uh, is that the final play, and these are late rumours in terms of it's, it's only really come out in the last few hours, regarding Xavier Dersma from Port. Uh, John Ralph has reported that he's he's been down and done a medical examination, and then shortly after he, he tweeted that uh, he was keen to join the Bombers, and it would almost certainly be part of the Zerk Thatcher deal with some other picks swapped around as well. And just looking at him, you know, he he's part of that that talented trio that they brought in in the 2018 draft of uh, along with Butters and, and Rosie, and he was he was close to the best in in that first year, and since then though he. he he hasn't been able to live up to the, the same level of hype he had in that, that early season. He only played 11 games in 21 and, and 22, and he did manage to play 16 games this year, but he has struggled with, with injury. And then if you look at his averages in terms of his disposals and his marks and his goals per game, he hasn't been able to top that debut year across the following season. Again, that, that's injury impacted, but that is a, a concern or a sign that the player potentially has stagnated and looked I'd simply be happy to get a Port Adelaide player traded to Essendon because it's never happened. And it's always Essendon players going the other way. I think we're all scarred by Wanganeen and, and Ryder and, and the and such going over there for, for chips. And uh, there are some concerns then though, based on his history about whether he could be a consistent performer. And if he did form part of that Zerk Thatcher trade, what are your thoughts? And if he does come to the club, where do you see him being used? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> When the BCT news first started to get talked about a little bit, the the name that I put up at at the time was was Josh Sin. I liked Dersma for similar reasons, <laughs> albeit since best position's probably at halfback and and Dersma's more so on the wing. I think they're both uh, uh, they you know either or and and fit a, a real need and and we don't have enough outside class and and outside run we don't have enough wingers on our list you know we've really only got two of of any decent quality and that's Nick Martin and um and Sam Durham and and I ultimately think as I've spoken about a lot that Nick Martin's best position will be playing through the through the midfield rather than on the wing because he's just too dangerous in traffic and and with ball in hand we don't have a lot of players like that so it, it allows us to 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 cash in as again using that term on BZT and add a player who's you know 23 years old got 70 games experience we're a young list already so he sort of fits in from the age profile perspective but but if you compare it to going to the draft and using a pick 30 or whatever we might end up and getting an 18 year old it, it I think it you know that 70 games experience can be really important He's had some injury concerns. It, it, it sounds like they tried to bulk him up a little bit too much to to use him more on the inside, and and that took away from from what he's really good at on the outside, and and sort of took away some of his attributes. And I think it sounds like has added to some of his injury concerns. But he comes in, he plays on a wing, he, he gives us a genuine third winger in our side. He allows us to gives us some flexibility with how we use Martin and and even uh, Durham at times. Uh, it, yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense to me, and and we know that he can turn a game as well. He, you know, we've seen patches of him where he's been able to do a few things in a quarter to to turn a game Port Adelaide's way. You know, admittedly not for a couple of years now, but he's got some real X factor, uh, and he's just got attributes that we don't have a lot of, mate. So if we walk away from this draft period effectively swapping BCT for and Shield 
for McKay, uh, Gresham and um, and Dersma. I think we really have done a good job at addressing the weaknesses. Some of the well, taking a step forward to addressing the weaknesses on our list in terms of key defensive pillar and you know outside uh, class and, and ball use and run. Yeah. Well, look, the silly season starts tomorrow, and I'm sure many of you will probably be listening to this Friday morning just as it's about to head off. So, you know, in a week or two, we're going to know a lot more about how things play out and and what the list looks like. But based on what we do know, it it seems like there's going to be a fair few players brought in. That's going to be a talent and age profile boost. The the four players that seem likely at this point are all probably going to be best 22 players in round one. Goldstein maybe, depending on fitness, but... You know, that's that's automatically a, a talent increase of the side from the previous year. And whether that's going to translate into more consistent performance, I think is going to be dependent on how that transition is managed. And again, it comes down to that club culture in terms of their the players' expectations of each other and about following the instructions and and the guidance of their coaching their coaching side. So look, it's not a you, you don't just draft players and expect to win flags. It's it's bigger than that, it's it's deeper than that. And as I've said a long time, it's, it's a cultural thing that's going to take a few years to really develop and embed if we want to be a long-term successful side. But look, I'm really looking forward to see where, where we stand after this draft and trade period. And we'll definitely record after that's completed. Look, thanks for coming on tonight, Jono, after a few weeks break. Any final words from you? Uh, no, not really, mate. Uh, yeah, it is the silly season. So, uh, and as always, we're going to be linked to a lot of players and a lot of activity. And uh, yeah, I think uh, Cal Toomey and Gettable are the ones to really listen out to, aren't they? They, they seem to be closest to the truth on on a lot of things. So I think if you're going to take uh, take a real interest in what we're doing, they're, they're the ones that you should probably invest the most time into and, and you know, leave the rest. I think they've all got different agendas. But yeah, I think there's some good good signs that that we're we're talking about the right things in terms of elevating standards and and really putting it on our playing list for the first time in a long time that they need to to improve and and we're starting to you know we've identified some really specific players that play some roles that that we really lack in so i i think there's some positives I, I'm, I'm confident that we'll be a better football team next year. Um, what that means in terms of win losses will will be determined. You know, is obviously to be determined. But uh, yeah, I think we're taking some steps in the right direction, and, and that's exciting for the future. Yeah, well said, mate. Look, stay safe, everyone. Don't believe the trade whisperer, and go Dons.